Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Welcome this morning to the Chapel Collective. We are so excited that we could be joining with you. And uh, whether you're in Guyra, Armadale, Tamworth or Gunnedah, welcome. Or wherever you are, we're so glad to be with you uh, here this morning. Uh, Like um, Luke mentioned earlier, we are diving into a new series this morning on the book of Mark. Uh, Just before we get to that, I just want to let you know that we will be um, sending a text out tonight uh, with, at about 7.30 tonight, with um, an update and actually a survey for you as we uh, head for the way forward. Uh, We'd really love you to engage with that. It'll only take you a few minutes and uh, just click on the link that you'll receive. It'll either be an email or a text depending on the details that we have. But if you've never received an email or a text update from the Chapel Collective, can you please send in your name and either your email or text to the number on the screen? Because we would love to hear from you as we make decisions about the way forward. So it'd be great if you could do that. Well, here at the Chapel Collective, we really make it our aim to uh, preach the whole counsel of Scripture. And so often we do that in a topical way, but every now and then we like to work through a book, and we recognise that it's time for us now to to work through a book. And we chose Mark as the book that we're going to work through. Mark is the shortest gospel in the Bible. And if you've never engaged in reading the Word of God before, I encourage you to grab a hold of this. I'm going to tell you how in just a moment. On Sundays... We'll be preaching topically from a passage in Mark. Uh, We'll take an idea out of Mark and bring it for our um, situation today, our circumstances today. Now, when we go to connect groups or Bible studies, whether you're doing them on Zoom or whether you're doing them as a hybrid of gathering in person and on Zoom or as we open up gathering in person, or if even that's just way too confronting to you going to someone's house and reading the Bible, like when are you allowed to leave? Can you just get up and walk out whenever? Whatever it looks like, uh, there's an opportunity for you to engage with that on the website with home Bible studies. Um, of actually taking a passage from Mark and working through that passage, not reading into the passage or or having that passage support an idea, but actually letting the text speak for itself. That's the aim of, uh, of those studies. And then every day we're going to have a daily reading plan available. And this will also come out in the text update tonight where you can click on it and engage with that if you want to. A daily reading plan available. No more than 20 verses. We're going to spend 35 days reading the book of Mark. It's not a sprint through the book of Mark. This is not reading the Bible uh, in a quick shred way. This is letting the book of Mark ruminate inside of us and get on the inside and actually change us. Now you might say, Brian, I'm not a reader. But I love what I heard Will Messon say once. He said, It doesn't matter if you're not a reader because the Bible is not a book. The Bible is actually the Word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the thoughts and intents of the heart. So you're actually able to engage with the Word of God because it is breathed on by God. The words are breathed on by God and inspiring and actually able to change you from the inside out. It's useful for for correction, for, for encouragement, for exhortation. It's useful for us. So I encourage you, if you've never read the Bible before, no more than 20 verses a day, get on board with this. If you like, I don't know what I just read, you can then read the devotional content and ask yourselves the questions that will be given every day. This is a really impactful way to read the Bible. Also, there's going to be daily contemplative prayers from um, the passage that we've read, one verse taken or a concept taken from that passage and prayed through. So you can engage in that way. Apart from that, 
<laughs> that's not all, folks, uh, is that we have an exegetical teaching once a week, probably just on podcasts, probably not on YouTube, but just on podcasts where it is a deep dive into the passages that we're going to be reading. It is going to be looking at um, the historical context, at the authorship, at the setting, all that kind of stuff. If you're a Bible nerd, you can nerd out on that section uh, of what we're going to do. So they're the different ways that you can engage. I hope that you, you know, if this crisis has taught us anything, it's that we can't rely on a church service to grow our faith. It's that we have to take personal responsibility uh, to see our faith grow. And, and what we want to do in this last 30 days, you know, it might be the last 30 days that we have before things open up completely. Who knows? We may even open up before that 30 days is over. But why not take these moments, these, these five weeks to work through the book of Mark and allow it to get on the inside of you? So for this morning, the title of the message is Out With The Old, In With The New. And the subtitle is Coming Out of Heaven. I mean, hell, I mean, isolation. And the sub-subtitle is Lessons from the Book of Mark. So we're going to look at Out with the Old, In with the New, and we're looking at a passage from the Book of Mark. Mark chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, or it might say Matthew, depending on the version that you're reading, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Now he pours new wine into new wineskins. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that as we embark with Mark, Lord, that you would quicken these words to us, Lord, that we would learn life lessons, but more than that, that these words would actually change us from the inside out. We trust in you that your living word will not return to you void as it goes out. So let that happen, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, looking at this passage, we first need to have a quick note about tax collectors. You see, tax collectors are put in a different category to sinners here. But when you're reading this passage and reading these chapters uh, this week, you'll find that Jesus has already called James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Peter, who were all fishermen. And here he gets to a place where he calls, now this is not necessarily the order that he calls them in, but in Mark's recording, the next person that he mentions is Levi or Matthew, and Matthew is a tax collector. Now, Matthew, being a tax collector, is hated in society, you'll notice that it says sinners and tax collectors as their own category. Why? Because these were agents of the Roman government under which the Jewish people were oppressed. 
And so here is, uh, here is Matthew taking money from his own people to give to the Roman government. And often tax collectors were corrupt. We see that later on when Jesus talks to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, everyone that I've ripped off, I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to pay them back more than what I ripped them off. They would not only take money for the Roman government, but they would keep a little bit extra for themselves. And so they were hated and despised. And here's Jesus and he says, I want you to be part of my posse. I want you to be part of the group that I'm going to use to change the world. And not only that, he goes and he eats with them. And not only does he go and eat with the tax collectors, he eats with the sinners. Well, who are the sinners? Who are the sinners? Uh, Sinners, it simply means to miss the mark or to fall short of what God approves. And the Bible tells us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So, so it can't mean um, that, that, that it's that term because that would include everybody. So no, it's sinners in that it's Pharisees who they consider sinners. You see, the Pharisees, they're the teachers of the law. They considered themselves to be so separate. They had separated themselves. And, and, and in keeping the law, the people who had separated themselves were in and the ones who hadn't were out. And they would call them sinners. Now, that's not necessarily the problem in our age today. Uh, you know, as Christians... Uh, our religion, if you will, the religion or the religious have been so derided for holding themselves as lofty and above other people that um, in fact, we, we try not to hold ourselves separate at all. We're like, no, no, we're no better than anyone else. No, 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 that, that's it. we're not separate from anyone. We're, we're just the same as everybody else. And, and we know that it's not right to hold ourselves as better or anything like that. That would be ridiculous. In fact, we congratulate ourselves on not being self-congratulatory. And we, we, we have this notion that we're, um, that we're just like everybody else, which is the truth, but we're still supposed to be separate. So what is it for you, I wonder, for the Pharisees, who was in and who was out was based on what was separate. But for you personally, what constitutes your who's in and who's out? What constitute who gets to sit at your table or who doesn't? Is it status or is it that they're not enough like you or they're, uh, you know, is, does racism play into it? What is it that constitutes who gets in and out as it relates to your table? Well, Jesus is reclining with the sinners and with the tax collectors, with the whole group of them and brings this beautiful statement of, well, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. And, and I love that because that includes me. And I find myself in that and I go, wow, Jesus, you came for me. And so you can't argue with that kind of statement. So instead, they come with an attempt to discredit him and ask him about fasting. Now, fasting, we would see as a medical, what you do before a medical procedure. But in Israel's scriptures and all all through the Bible, it's used fasting as a time of repentance where you're changing your ways or or where it's a time of devotion or where it's a time of deep trouble. and, And that's when they fasted. And in fact, John's disciples fasted. You'll read about him this week in the Pharisees, um, disciples fasted, and you'll read about them over these five weeks. But Jesus' disciples did not fast. And so they come to him and say, well, why aren't they fasting? And if you're like me, you're hoping that Jesus is going to say, oh, no, you don't need to fast anymore ever again. It's time for feasting now, forever. But he doesn't say that. He just says that you don't, have, you don't fast when the bridegroom is with you. you. They'll fast when the bridegroom leaves. And at that time, it wouldn't have made much sense. But when um, John Mark who wrote this was with Peter. Uh, later, Peter was telling about it. He's like, you know, Jesus said this. And, and he was talking about when he was going to die and, and rise again and, and ascend into heaven, that, that that's when we should fast as his disciples. So, uh, but Jesus makes this statement. 
Because fasting was never meant to get God into a headlock or go on a hunger strike to get him to do what you want, but a time of devotion to draw aside with him. Jesus makes this statement and says, you know what, the whole thing is changing up now. He says, you can't put an unshrunk cloth onto a shrunk cloth. You can't patch a shrunk cloth with an unshrunk cloth because then if you do it according to how it's meant to be and then you put it in the wash and then it shrinks and it pulls away and it makes that patching to no avail. Now, I'm no textiles expert, but my approach is that if, even if anything's really expensive and says it can be hand-washed only, it's not meant to survive if it doesn't make through the gentle cycle of the machine wash. And that all worked really well until I put a beautiful dress in and packed it to take on a trip to the Hunter Valley with some tights because it went down to my knees. And then when I got changed, it was the only thing that I brought. It did no longer went down to my knees. It kind of went to here and going out to dinner with the tights. Ain't nobody got time for that. Um, but that's how shrinkage works. And we understand that. We less understand more about wine skins. We don't know much about wine skins. But this is what I can tell you as being a farm girl. Uh, is that when I would go for walks, every now and then I'd head down into a gully and come across the stench of death. And it would either be a kangaroo or a sheep that had died on the farm. And, uh, and what had happened is that one of two things, either its guts had swollen and fermented to the point and, and, and it was still fresh. So the belly of the kangaroo or the sheep was massive. The, it had stretched out, the skin had stretched out to hold what was inside. Uh, but, but as time went on, that actually um, the heat would dry out the body of the carcass of the animal and, and it would dry out the skin and then eventually the thing would explode and the, and the guts would come out. So it was either one of two things. So I don't know about wineskins, but I know about dead animals and how that would work. So you can't put new wine into old wineskins that will bust it. And Jesus is saying, no, no, there's a whole new paradigm that I'm ushering in here. There's a whole new story. You've got to get rid of your old mindsets and your old thoughts about how this operates because what I am ushering in is something new and beautiful. There's no more who's in and who's out. This is inclusive. This is going to, this is going to rock the world. This is going to turn the world upside down. This is about a new way of thinking and believing that doesn't say, well, what I do is as important as what's in my heart and my relationship with God, he ushers that in and he says, will you be a part of it? And if you want to be a part of it, you've got to throw out the old to bring in the new. And I wonder if today, if you want to be a part of that, I wonder if today, if your heart says, yeah, I actually want to be a part of what God is doing. I, I, I don't want to go my own way. I want to go his way. And I want to make him the Lord and authority of my life and make him my friend so that I no longer go my way. I want it to be new. And there will be opportunity for that today if that's you. So if that's the new paradigm that's being ushered in, if that's the new paradigm, then I wonder, as we head back to what I started with, as we're opening up, if there's a new paradigm for you. Because what I'm hearing is all about the new normal. It's all about how things have changed and will never be the same again. And I don't mean to be sceptical, but I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure I believe that everything has so drastically changed that we will never be the same again. I'm not sure about that. I think that at most, one generation and it'll all be forgotten. I think that more likely it's just like a beep and we just go back to normal. In fact, what I hear from people is like this low-level unease of the return to what was. The pace, the activity, people saying, I don't want to go back there. And so if we're trying to usher in a new paradigm, 
paradigm. I wonder if we can learn from the new paradigm that Jesus ushered in on a cosmic scale and, and have a look at this passage and take his principles to apply to our new paradigm, which is not even close or remotely comparable to what he ushered in, but in fact, he cares about. That he says that, that the way that I changed everything was made, meant to change everything, everything about your life as well, so much so that he says that even the hairs on your head are numbered or depending on who you are, the hairs that used to be on your head have been numbered. I wonder if we can look at this and say, well, what is applicable and what lessons can I learn? And not ask the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But WDJD, what did Jesus do that would help me with this? So let's go to Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 first. And it's talking about John being put in prison. It says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I don't know what images repent conjures up for you. If you kind of think going into a cloistered environment and saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, or, or what that looks like if it feels really religious to you. But repent simply means change your mind. Change your mind or change your purpose. That's what repent means. And so as I hear people saying, I like this change, I'm going to bring an acronym for change and start with C, that first we need to consider and confess. In order to repent, we need to consider and confess. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to 11. And uh, someone in this passage is being asked to consider. And they say, it's actually a little bit harsh in some ways, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Uh, it's an interesting passage, but essentially what it's saying is go to the ant and, and, and consider what it's doing. So I would say as we're wanting to be intentional, because if we don't, nothing will change. We'll just keep on waiting, waiting for the world to change. We'll just sit around waiting, waiting for the world to change. It's hard to change the system when you're standing at a distance. So we just keep waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. We keep wait, um, and so we need to consider. We need to consider what was and confess what was, so that we can make a change. It says here, go to the ant. It has no overseer or ruler. So can you go to what was, what was about your life? Look at it and go. What well, what is it that I didn't like about that? Let me consider that. Let me state what that is, because without stating what I didn't like, how will I move on from it? It's the same in our lives as we follow Jesus. We need to look at what we're doing and say, God, I don't want to do that anymore in order to change. So consider and confess what it is. Repent, in fact, and change our ways. And, and then when we've, we've decided what it is that we don't like and we've made new priorities, we need to get hard-nosed about that. H, C is for ch uh, consider and confess. H is for hard-nosed, not hard-hearted, that means like stubborn and proud or whatever. Hard-nosed, that means resolute, hard-nosed. You see, Jesus got hard-nosed. 
about what he was there for. In Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he's just uh, done some amazing things, amazing teaching, um, cast out a demon out of somebody. And they're like, who is this guy with all this authority? And they say, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Right, what do we need to do? Start an Instagram account. Okay, um, how do we get the word out there? You, you need to start a blog, Jesus, and we need to make sure that we cap- capitalise on this moment to get the word out about you. This is what Jesus says. In verse 38, he says, it says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. We need to get a sense of what is it that I need to be doing right now. That is why I've come. Jesus was able to get hard-nosed and laser-focused around what he was meant to be doing. He didn't get caught up in the crowd and their adulation and, and the disciples spurring on of building his profile. No, he was like, well, this is why I've come. I've got to preach the good news. So let's get out there to where I can preach it. We're not going to stay here to where I'm famous. I need to go and speak to some other people. And in fact, in the midst of this, he he um, was able to stay laser focused and his laser focus offended the religious with his all-inclusive nature. And it offended the irreligious where he said, I haven't come for you because he was just hard-nosed about his mission every step of the way. How did he get hard-nosed? How do we get hard-nosed? Let's look at the preceding verses. Verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus, uh, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. Jesus was able to get hard-nosed about his mission because he had aligned his heart with the Father. He found alignment with his Father. And if we are to know what we're about, we too need to find alignment. We need to find that solitary place, to find that solitude and gain alignment. You know, if we, none of it matters unless we find alignment with him. At the end of the day, what we need most and more than anything is to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, at the end of the day. And we don't get to those words without aligning ourselves with him. Now you would know that even if you're just checking God out, that you're like, you would have heard before the importance of stepping back from everything that you're doing and saying, well, is it what I'm supposed to be doing still that you judge and assess what you're doing? That's, that's common wisdom. But aligning your heart with God takes that to a new level. And that says, God, what is it that you want me to do? Let me align my will with yours. Let me align my worldview with yours. Let me align my heart with yours, Lord, for everything that you want me to do so that I may know what I'm doing is correct. Let me align with you. And a famous passage that, we will, um, that many of you will know about this then gives us peace. I'm going to read it from the message It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. It says, If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life, this is the alignment, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. It says this, give your attention, entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. 
Let me read it to you from a version that you might be more familiar with. It says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Aligning our heart with God is where it's at. If we can consider where we're going wrong and confess and then, and then get hard-nosed out of alignment with God, then we will find our life being radically turned around and a peace coming because we know that tomorrow is taken care of. Well, as Jesus does this, the Pharisees get annoyed with him and even his own family say, he's gone out of his brain. The guy's lost it. His own family as he's preaching to the crowds. And, but because he has um, gotten aligned with the Father and he is resolute and hard-nosed, he gets to this place and, of change of the N and G, which is no guilt. He doesn't live to other people's expectations. I wonder if we could do that. I wonder if we could have a healthy disregard for people's expectations as we head back into the new reality, whatever that might be. I wonder if you could let go of the comparison of what what sport your kids are doing as opposed to other kids and, and wonder if you're doing enough for them and, and if you're, you know, they, well, they've got to be out Tuesday for training and Wednesday for sport and Thursday for dance and Friday for elocution lessons. Nobody does those anymore, but I did. Thank you, mum. I've got to be at the PNC meeting because that's what's expected of me. Uh, you know, what about a healthy disregard for people's expectations as we head back in? If we have considered what we're doing and where it's gone wrong, if we've gotten hard-nosed out of our alignment with Jesus, then we can have no guilt and say, well, you know, that's what life was like, but I'm changing the way that I head back in and I'm not living for people's expectations in that. I remember early in my Christian walk, that I would need Sundays. Sundays was like an all-day event for our church, and I needed that. Uh, it was like that, that aligned me. That was where my alignment was. And then, um, and then I would go through the week, and we had a Thursday night service as well. And I was so grateful for Thursday night because that just realigned me because otherwise I might have lost the plot and just walked away from God completely. But that has to get to a place where you're walking along in your own walk and you're finding a relationship with God yourself and getting in alignment with Him and then not living to people's expectations anymore. And I had to come out of environments so that I just didn't fall back into the same old, same old. And that was relating to sin and, and faith. But maybe for you, it's just behavior and you need to come out of your familiar environments in order to come out of the same old and the risk of falling back into the same old, same old. Here's what Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Uh, if you're trying to please God, um, you won't be able to please people. If you're trying to please people, you won't be able to please God. You can serve God and serve people, but you can only be the servant of God. You can't be the servant of people. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. You can serve God and have money, but you can't serve God and serve money. And you can't serve God and be the servant of people as well. You've got to decide who you're going to please. And if you'll align your heart with the Father, then you're able to live with no guilt around people's expectations. Finally, this morning, as we come to the E, from the C to the H, the H, the N to the G to the E, we would say that make sure that whatever you put in place, that they don't become such hard and fast rules that then you become a slave to them to the detriment of who God has created you to be. 
You see, Jesus was walking along, you'll read about it this week, and walking through the cornfields and he's picking, his disciples are picking ears of corn to hung, 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 munch out on. Have you ever munched out on a raw ear of corn? Delicious. Anyway, so they're picking the corn, they're having a munch out, and, uh, and they, get, they get busted by the Pharisees who say, how dare you pick corn on the Sabbath? See, the Sabbath was um, something that God had instituted for his people, for them to be able to come into a place of peace and calm, enabling them to recognize that God is in charge and they are not responsible for all their provision, but actually God is. And, uh, and so they come into this place, and, um, and, but, but he's the disciples eating on the Sabbath. And, and then later on in the synagogue, there's a man with a shriveled hand and, and they put him there to test Jesus to see what Jesus will do. Will he heal, which constituted work for them on the Sabbath? Will he go against the rules? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll go against the rules. Is this for people? Then I'll go against the rules. Uh, I care more about my disciples than I do about the rules. I care more about this man's restoration than I do about the rules. And we could become so hard and fast around the rules that we create for ourselves to head back into whatever our new reality is, that we get legalistic around that and forget to E, exercise empathy. Exercise empathy. We should stay flexible and interruptible on the basis of being empathy and and the basis of love for other people, which is what Jesus has called us to. If it's based on, um, if it's flexibility because of guilt or because of people's expectations, then that is incorrect flexibility. But if it's interruptibility because of love for people, then that is the empathy that we need to exercise. And I believe that if you consider where it was you went wrong and repent from that and get hard-nosed around what comes out of your alignment with God, then you can feel no guilt around people's expectations. But rather than that becoming a framework that then dictates to you everything, that you can exercise empathy and be all about loving God and loving people. And I wonder if today that's a journey that you would like to start and embark on. I'm going to pray for you right now. And I just ask everyone who already knows God, follows God, however you want to say that, has a relationship with God, would you pray for people right now? Would you take a moment right now in this next 20 seconds to pray for people who are going to be watching this, watching it right now or watching it in the time to come that today would be the day of salvation for them. Can you pray for that? And if you're listening to me and you're like, yes, I want to embark on that journey. I want to follow Jesus. I want to make Him the authority. I want to make Him my friend. I want to stop going my own way and I want to go His. I'm going to pray a prayer and uh, you just pray it in your own words and however you want to say that. And, um, and then head to our website. I encourage you, go on the next steps and let's resource you for your decision with Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody who wants to make a decision to follow you today. Lord, On their behalf right now, I repent of everything that we've done. The ways, every time we've gone our own way, every time we've missed the mark, every time we've failed to meet what you approve, Lord, forgive us for that. And Lord, as we head into this new way of life, would you guide us? Would you be there every step of the way? Jesus, we accept what you did on the cross. Make you Lord of our life and say thank you for bringing us into relationship with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, I pray for everybody who listened to the message this morning. As things begin to open up, that that would not induce that low level unease or even panic. But God, we would be ministered to and trust in you and know that you have the future in your hand. We believe you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue the conversation. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. 
there is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.